welcome to True Crime IRL, true crime in real life. I'm your host, Kelly Barron's Brink. Very few religious institutions are shrouded in as much mystery as the Catholic Church. From crimes to conspiracies to cover-ups and corruption, all the C-words, and even child trafficking, child sex abuse, just massive corruption on the most epic level. This is what we're going to be talking about in the next few episodes of True Crime IRL. I find it very interesting, and it's a part of religious history that's been concealed very well. A lot of people don't know the stories that I'm going to be telling you in the next few episodes, but I wanted to bring the Catholic corruption out of the darkness of the confessionals and the closets and into the light of day. I'm kicking this series off by having a guest author on today. His name is Tom Hogan, and he recently wrote the book, The Empty Confessional. It comes out June 1st. And in his early life, he was actually studying to be a priest. He was at the seminary studying to become a priest, and he had an epiphany that showed him that is not what he wanted to really do. He was in the wrong line of work. He realized that vocation was not his true calling. So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk a little bit about Catholic Church, conspiracies and pedophilia and things like that. Now, I come from a super, super Catholic family, and I love my family very much, and uh, a lot of my friends are Catholic, so this is not meant to insult any Catholics here. I'm not trying to insult you guys You are so free to believe whatever you want to believe and practice whatever you want. I'm a huge proponent of people doing what they want, and it doesn't matter what I think. And I respect your beliefs. Those are your beliefs. I want you to have them. So I don't want anyone to like be mad at me for the stuff I'm saying. I just find this very interesting. And I myself am not an organized religion type of person. That's just not my thing. I believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. So I hope you really enjoy this interview with Tom Hogan. What a great guy. Super interesting. Let's get right down to it. Welcome back to True Crime IRL, everyone. Today, I have a very special guest that I am super excited to talk to. He's a Catholic seminary refugee. He's a professor of religion, and he's an author of the new book, The Empty Confessional. Welcome to the show, Tom Hogan. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, This is going to be something a little different than I've done before, but I'm I'm ready to uncover some of these secrets and stuff of the Catholic Church. So you're going to kick off this series I'm going to be doing on the Catholic Church. But yeah, let's talk about Tom Hogan for a moment. So what what exactly is you you call yourself a Catholic uh, seminary refugee? What does that mean exactly? I've never heard that term before. Well, I was um, I studied. I, I- I was kind of a, a, a schizophrenic kid in the sense of, of growing up in um, the middle of the 60s and early 70s and yet being also someone who went to church every day. So it was an odd kind of um, lifestyle, you know, where I would be hanging out with my friends who were for the most part hippies and libertines. And then I'd be going to church in the day. And based on all of that, I decided that I still wanted to be a priest. And I went to a a seminary program, studied religion, but, you know, got up close and decided, you know, this wasn't for me. This was a lifetime commitment. I wasn't ready for it. And so I did drop out, but I stayed associated with religion because I found it absolutely fascinating. But I focused on the history of religion rather than the theology. So I became a, uh, a biblical archaeologist um, and worked over in Israel on digs, came back and worked at the, uh, the Harvard Semitic Museum with their pottery, etc., and then wound up teaching a combination of religion and uh, the Holocaust uh, in Santa Clara University and UC 
Santa Cruz. Wow. So my experience with the Catholic Church started out very intense and very loyal, and then it became very dispassionate and very, um, in my eyes, clear-eyed. And I could see the church a little bit more for what it was as I got a distance from it. That's where I'm at right now with the Catholic Church. I was... As a, as a kid, yeah, I grew up like the Eastern Christmas Catholic, but my grandmother was a devout Catholic. My dad and my uncle went to Catholic school their whole lives, so so did my brother. So we were a very Catholic family. Um, as I've gotten to be an adult, my eyes are opening a little bit to mm-hmm. some of the other stuff. So, so did you grow up in a really religious home then? Were your parents devout Catholics? My father was. He was one of these people who was a street kid from Brooklyn, not religious at all, went to to war in the Pacific Theater in World War II, had a number of near-death circumstances which made him very religious. And when he came back, he was very pious, Um, never really enforced it on us, but it was just so clear that it was important to him. Right. And it was important up until the day he died. All right. So so you were a big fan of the Catholic Church growing up and you wanted to become a priest. Um, but when did that start to change for you? What was was there a specific turning point or something that that really caused that change from one to the other? Well, yeah. And I mean, it's it's very odd that you can trace it back to the exact minute. But I can, but I would back up for just a minute because you were talking yeah. about your own involvement as exactly. well as yep. kids when you and I were uh, were yeah. talking. Um, in our will, uh, there's not a lot of things that we stipulated, but I have two daughters and oh. I did stipulate that uh, they could not be raised Catholic if we died. Wow. Uh, okay. I do, I do find Catholicism to be a very destructive force to females in particular okay. with all okay. of its sexual, uh, you know, uh, hangups, et cetera. So I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, like, like guilt for one thing, they say absolutely. Catholic guilt that has been huge for me, huge yeah. for me. So yeah. Yeah. No, yep. I mean, uh, in the book, I've got a whole chapter on how the church ran with one biblical phrase and turned it into a complete, uh, cult of virginity uh, yes. associated with Mary and beyond. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty intense stuff for a young girl growing up. It you, is. You know. Yes, it is very, very intense. So that's kind of what changed things for you thinking well, about that or not really because I'm not a girl. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I, I did know what happened for me was, um, I was over uh, hitchhiking. I was only, you know, in college, but I was hitchhiking through Scotland and England. And, um, you know, back in the day and still to this day, to a large degree, you know, there's the expectation that you go to church every Sunday. Right. You know, that if you didn't, it was a sin, maybe a venial sin, not a mortal sin, but a sin of consequence. Yep. And I had been up all night you know, on the roads, et cetera. And I got into Oxford where my friend was staying and there was only one more mass that I could go to. And I was just dog tired. And I said, I'm going to go to the store instead and get some food and come home and take, just go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And as I was walking past the Catholic church on my way back to his house, already feeling very guilty for, you know, et cetera, the bells told. And and I was physically ill, you know, I almost threw up and I sat there and I said, this is not healthy. You know, this is this is not what God intended. And at that point, from there on, I had a I was not a rejectionist. I'm not proud. I don't hate, you know, uh, I'm not proud of my status. I just said it's not for me anymore. And wow. that was it. That is a powerful turning point story. Wow. You remember it very vividly. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned that the word cult. I've come to kind of think of the Catholic Church as kind of a cult lately. It, it kind of checks a lot of the boxes. So <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't want to like offend anybody who is a, you know, practicing Catholic still. The town I live in everybody's Catholic. And I, I like, I like these people and I, I love a lot of Catholics in my life, but it's not for me anymore. So, 
Um, well, you know, if I can interrupt for just a yeah. sec, uh, I just finished an article, the title of which is It's Time to Treat the Catholic Church as a Cult. Oh, so my gosh, I didn't that. see that. I, yeah. I I read a few of your articles and read your bio and stuff, but I didn't. No, this one hasn't that. come out yet. It's still looking for a home. I just finished it, but it starts off with exactly what you're talking about. And that is if a new religion came into your community and then you just stripped away the word Catholic, but you said, you know, the priests could not marry. They could not have sex even with themselves. You know, women were second-class citizens. Children were in a situation of uh, exposure, you know, uh, and just keep going down the list. Um, what would you call that group? Oh, absolutely. You know? It would and be a it, cult. It, one, you said, checks the box. One leader, one leader who makes all the decisions and they trickle down. There's a lot of money involved. There's so many things that check all the boxes of a yeah. cult. So that I can't wait until that comes out. You keep me posted on that. I oh, have I'll to read that. No problem. <laughs> Please do. So what were people's reactions? How did your family react when you decided to leave the seminary? How did your friends, were you shunned? Things like that. How did, how did it go for you when you had that moment? Well, no, everyone was, except my father was what took you so long. You know, okay. <laughs> uh, including my mother, you know, yep. um, and I think part of it was and again, even though the uh, the book uh, that's coming out now, The Empty Confessional is not autobiographical, it, you know, uh, it, it reflects the lessons that I learned. And what I found was that, you know, again, the friends that I hung out with were very active sexually. Um, I, the, pr- the friends or, were they priests? No, 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 no. That's what okay. I'm saying. Is I led that schizophrenic uh, existence. Yes. Okay. Where I was the only guy in the in the uh, seminary with long hair. Uh, I was oh, the only wow. one. You know, I was the only one who had. Uh, you know, uh, was still active with. You know, smoking marijuana. I mean, my friends were all, as I said, uh, on the left, very seriously involved with sex, with drugs. You know, et cetera. Yep. And the rest of the seminarians that I was uh, associated with were what I had in that Newsweek article, what I called refugees, was yes. the people who were hiding from society. Okay. Well, okay. I wasn't hiding from society. I was still actively involved. I just was kind of hypocritical in the sense that, you know, I would do everything up to uh, sexual intercourse with the mm-hmm. girls that I was friends with or associated with. And yet somehow I thought that that could still keep me in good graces with oh, God, geez. as long you know, yeah. the, the calisthenics the, uh, uh, or the contortions that people do to stay Catholic is pretty impressive, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, as yeah. you know, in your town, if you have a conversation, they'll say, I'm Catholic, but I don't agree with the Pope on abortion. I don't agree. I think priests should marry. I think, you know, et cetera. And they'll go down the list. And you could say to them, though you get shunned, you'd say, honey, there's a name for you. It's Episcopalian. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But they that's, would they would cut off their head before they deny their that Catholic is, uh, uh, that, background. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that was the group. You know, So I lived one, one leg with, you know, um, the guys who were, you know, uh, doing mescaline and, and whatever on the weekends and. Uh, another group that was cloistered in the seminary and wouldn't come out because they loved their little world. And yeah. I knew I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, continue that way or I'd be, you know, uh, schizoid. <laughs> so did your, your um, friends in the seminary know about the other friends that you hung out with, or did you tr- kind of keep that quiet to, for fear? No, no, that you- I mean, I, it was not a, um, I mean, again, you couldn't, you couldn't be, with a ponytail and, and whatever, and, and not be, you know, uh, and not, not hanging around on the weekends with the rest of the guys, you know, um, running laps around the rosary. So, you know, um, no, it was, and it wasn't a surprise, wasn't a surprise to them. I mean, if you know how you have in high school, um, you know, the, the, the awards for most likely to succeed, you know, if the seminary had had a most likely to drop out, I would have been the top of everyone's list from, from day one. Oh so. my gosh. That's funny. Did you cut the hair for seminary? 
or did you leave it long? Oh, just, you know, I mean, and there, there was no pressure there. I mean, you got to remember, I did, well, I didn't explain. It was connected with the university. Okay. So the university uh, lifestyle and the, the people that were there, um, yeah. I fit in, mm-hmm. you know, more. more oh, yeah. yeah. What state was that? What state? Well, no, and it was, it was uh, odd too. It was, um, it was uh, uh, the, the, it was the University of Santa Clara, which Okay. where I wound up teaching uh, years later. But Santa Clara was an odd place to go um, because it was like a place that parents would send uh, their children if they were afraid of the 60s. It was like <laughs> it was like the 60s and early 70s didn't happen in Santa Clara. The women, gotcha. girls were still wearing, they looked like field hockey uh, uniforms, you oh know, the, the plaid dresses. And, yep, uh, yep. It was still Northern California. I was still, you know, 10 miles from Stanford and 40 miles from Berkeley, which was where I'd go on weekends. But um, it was an odd it was an odd lifestyle. When I left the seminary program, I stayed at Santa Clara um, because I loved the uh, the biblical studies program. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you you went on to get your um doctorate is that right in in a, oh, my or, master's no? your master's in okay. archaeology yeah wow so you were talking about the archaeological digs that reminds me of a very catholic movie the movie the exorcist at the beginning when they're digging yeah. you know so, <laughs> yeah but yeah so um so the catholic church obviously is responsible for so many terrible things like pedophilia that's the first thing that comes to mind um but you're the expert here why is it so rampant in the catholic church why are there so many children being abused what is happening here and why do they why did they cover it up and how do you have any anecdotes about about that or any stories well yeah i i do and um it's I'm in a unique situation in that when I was um, doing my uh, graduate work, I was initially uh, at Drew University, which is a Methodist program, and uh, they didn't have graduate student housing per se, so I wound up having a room in their seminary. So now, which is so now, I'm living with a bunch of Methodist seminarians, Protestant, uh, middle of the road. And I could contrast their experiences with what my own would have been had I stayed in the Catholic seminary. And if you looked at, for example, the last year of the um, of the program before ordination in the Jesuit tradition, you do something called the spiritual exercises of, of Ignatius, where you learn to become a representative of Christ on earth to to basically explain the church to the faithful. I'm in the Catholic, I'm in the Protestant seminary and they're taking classes on marriage counseling, how to start a youth center, how to teach Bible classes to the faithful, etc. So they asked me to do a, a presentation to their seminarians on the difference of ministry in the Catholic church versus Protestants. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I drew an hourglass, if your uh, listeners can envision an hourglass. And this was the Catholic model with the, the, the Pope, the church and God in the top of the hourglass mm-hmm. and the faithful in the bottom. And that little, you know, pinched area mm-hmm. where everything has to go through is the priest. The priest's okay. job is to interpret the top of the uh, uh, the hourglass to the bottom of the hourglass, and then the needs of the the bottom of the hourglass up to the top. But it's a conduit, and everything goes through that person. Now you can think about the stress that's involved in a job description like oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. Then I drew what I thought was the Protestant model or the mainstream Protestant model, and that is um, the it was two horizontal bars, if you can think about it that way. And the lower model is the people, and the top bar is God. And underneath the whole thing, with his arms like pushing up, mm-hmm. is the minister. And his yeah. or her job is to push the people closer to a relationship with God. He's okay. out of the middle. Okay. He's yeah. facilitating a relationship. 
And that's a very different role. And now you start to think about, okay, it's a much more secular job. I can marry. Okay. If I'm Protestant, um, there's no same restrictions about sexuality, et cetera. Yeah. Now you take all of that and apply it to the guy in the pinched middle, who's a Catholic, a, there's all of these restrictions on him. B, they cloister him Mm -hmm. in a seminary for seven years with a bunch of other people like him. Mm -hmm. I mean, this whole thing is a formula for warping a person sexually and socially, you know, and then they say, and by the way, you're going to, when we release you, you're going to be interpreting God to everyone. You're going to be the most powerful person, you know, in the community and you're screwed up sexually. If you haven't been, uh, you know, paying attention, we've been kind of um, isolating you from, you know, uh, society and now we're releasing you into it. Yeah. It's not surprising that, um, but, you know, in fairness, and this is, I know that you're studying um, uh, the Irish and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can absolutely get to that. But just yesterday, I don't know if you saw, there was a big release from the Southern Baptist uh, Church. Mm-hmm. Of I did all see that. You know, so it's not, and the, it, it could have been written by the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds exactly the same. People in power, authority protecting itself, etc. So even though the Catholic Church is a perfect Petri dish for pedophilia, you can see that other religions have that problem as well. Yeah, I think, I think. People, if if you're going to be that kind of person who is a pedophile, I guess, and who preys on kids and stuff, a lot of people go into things like minis- being a minister, being a teacher, being a counselor, things like that, where they're kind yeah. of shielded by the institution. So, and it it's just easier for them to kind of get away with it and creep their way in and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, yeah, back to the Irish. So mm-hmm. that the Ireland was like founded on Catholicism, basically. Right. So I'm going to be in future episodes talking about the mother and baby homes that were popular during that time where, gosh, like 75% of all children who came into those homes perished and they were dumped in a sewer. Like, so but, but back to the Catholic guilt thing, it's huge. It was terrible at that time in Ireland and talk about Catholic guilt a little bit. And it, like for women, if you, everybody was having sex, it just wasn't talked about, right. but if you ended up pregnant, you were shunned, you were sent away, your baby was taken from you. It was terrible. And I, I can, I, so that kind of thing has messed up a lot of women. Talk about that a little bit, Catholic guilt and how it no, is no, for women. I think, uh, well, I, First on the uh, the Irish situation, I you're you're dead on to focus on that because um, that and and Canada both had uh, those kinds of programs. Uh, the Irish were uh, the worst of the bot. Mm-hmm. The most encouraging thing I can think about is um, uh, how much Ireland has changed in terms of its relationship yeah. uh, with Catholicism. Is that they? Um, I mean. They now have a very liberal approach to abortion, which you would never thought would have yeah, happened yeah. in a, a, a ca- And the other thing is, if you look at uh, just numbers, uh, John Paul comes over uh, for a visit, and you know millions crowd the roads, and the little Pope mobile rides by, and they have the 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 uh, the masks in the uh, packed. And then, you know, fast forward to Pope Francis coming to visit. And Francis is a good guy, more or less. I mean, he's he's hamstrung, but I think his heart is in the right place. Yeah. And he draws 150,000 people at tops, at tops. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. can I let my dog out? For oh, my gosh. A- yes. You go right ahead. Yeah, whatever right you need ahead. to do. <laughs> Back on the record. Uh, so, um uh, yes, Ireland in particular uh, has has been encouraging to see that uh, an entire nation can wise up and say, yes, you know, we're going to be Catholic, but on our terms and the church is going to have to conform to that. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that's going to take some uh, some doing. But, 
you know, you had asked for an anecdote uh, about yeah. the church and pedophilia and whatever. And, you know, I, I remember at one point we were, um, uh, this was back in the 80s, uh, and the AIDS crisis was mm, uh, mm-hmm. uh, just getting going. And, I read uh, I read this in your bio to the link about the AIDS uh, crisis yeah. in within priesthood, like Catholic Church. And oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. it just <laughs> it decimated the uh, the seminary in particular, the 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 the, the numbers. And there was a um, there was a monk who was visiting us and we were asking how it did at, at the monastery. He said, no, we got hit very hard. With and AIDS, then, priests yeah, with AIDS. This is, the AIDS and this is something you don't hear about. No, the, you no, don't. Never. And, and he looked at us and he kind of smiled cryptically and he said, you know, who would have guessed that there were so many intravenous drug users in the, uh, the, the ministry, you know, meaning the, they were denying the whole yep. homosexual bent of the, yes. uh, the clergy. So, you know, um, the idea was in pedophilia. Uh, yeah, the Catholic Church is, is seeing a decline in both uh, attendance and in the number of seminarians who want to come on board. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whereas it used to be if they weren't American, they were Irish. Now, if they're not American, they're Filipino. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, at a certain point in time, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the nursing rate uh, ranks being decimated by uh, COVID is they're having to import from, you know, uh, other countries to get uh, enough nurses. It's the same thing with Catholicism. And when you're faced with losing that kind of base on two fronts, you can see, I'm not agreeing with it, but you can see why the church has become so defensive. And so it's, you know, it's closed ranks because whereas it should be opening its books to the police and to the public, and it should be banishing anyone mm-hmm. with a zero tolerance. Yes. Know, yeah. No, you know, they're, they say, you know, our first goal is self-preservation and our yeah. second goal is power. Yeah. And we're going to hold on to both of those with both hands. So that's probably then why it seems like there are so many cover ups of pedophilia yeah. and stuff. They just want to preserve their number of priests because uh-huh. it's diminishing so much anyway. And they don't want the Catholic religion to die out, basically. Right. Yeah. Hi everybody. Hi, everybody. This is Bo. And this is Adam. Thank you for listening to our mom's podcast, True Crime IRL. If you're obsessed with murder shows like your mom, you can support the podcast by going to Patreon and becoming a member. Just go to patreon.com slash podcast. It helps your mom pay all the bills and buy us new shoes. Lock your doors, people! Just lock them. Bye-bye. I want to talk a little bit about uh, your book, The Empty Confessional. Father Gabe, the main character of this story, he seems like a cool guy. <laughs> he mm. knows Krav Maga. He's I I imagine him being like very good looking too. <laughs> um, did you base Gabe's character a little bit on yourself, or? Except for the good-looking part, yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, no, yeah, absolutely. That he was um, schizophrenic in his own way. You know, mm-hmm. is you have a calling, or I thought I had a calling, and then you bump up against everything from sexual tension to uh, the church, the way that it is. Uh, I'm not an expert in Krav Maga, but uh, <laughs> you know, no, it was. Um, but certainly the. Uh, you know, the idea behind the the book is not that he is one of these righteous um, uh, uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does use his Krav Maga to effect against the pedophilic priests and the spousal abusers and rapists that he discovers through the um, the confessional. But He's doing that in large part to purge himself of right. the frustrations and the guilt and the uh, 
you know, so it's not one of these uh, Charles Bronson in Death Wish and my wife died and now I'm jumping into the town and getting rid of all the bad guys. It was like violence for him was a purgative. It was it was something that made him feel better about the the disassociations that he had in his life. Yeah. So it reminds me of a little bit of Dexter. He's like the Dexter Mm -hmm. of the Catholic Church. (laughs) Very much Um, so. And he's kind of a serial killer, really, in his own right. He's he's yeah. a priest, but he's killing the bad guys. And at the same time, I think, is he recognizing he's got a little bloodthirst of his own and he kind of enjoys it? Yeah. So, well, it's 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 great that you did uh, that. You had that association. Um, the uh, for your for your listeners, if you pitch uh, a script to Hollywood, you have to start off with two movies that it's a light, you know, yeah. so you'll go on in and you'll say, you know, in the case of one of my other books, it was like, you know, um, uh, you, you know, you could say, uh, oh, this one was something meets the usual suspects, the, yes. big, chill, the yes. big chill, you know, uh, meets the usual suspects in the case of the empty confessional. It was, if you remember the movie doubt, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. You said that. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. So I said that. So my pitch was doubt meets Dexter. Yep. Yep. And there yep, you go. Yep. So uh, it sounds like I was right up your alley. Absolutely. So. I was re- I was doing some research and I was like, what is this like? It's like, and I was looking, I doubt or the Netflix documentary, The Keepers. I was like, it's mm-hmm. like Dexter meets The Keepers or something like that. But I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really like his character. Is he going to appear in any, uh, any books going forward? Is he going, is it going to be a series? I don't think so. It was, it was funny when I, um, wrote, uh, the previous book, which was a, um, a thriller, uh, based in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was about a Jewish detective who's forced by the commander of the camp to try and solve this crime. And, you know, uh, spoiler alert, you know, in a very noble gesture, uh, the the detective saves people but dies in the um, in the uh, the gas chamber as a result. And the people from Hollywood called and they said, well, you know, we like everything except the ending. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, well, the ending, I think it's pretty strong. And they go, yeah, but he dies. And I said, <laughs> Yeah. And no, they yeah. said, well, that really eliminates what's really important to us, and that's sequels. Yes. <laughs> and I said, what do you think? You're going to move him from camp to camp, you know, uh, and he's going to solve crimes. And Difco does Dachau, <laughs> Difco does Sobibor, Difco does Treblinka. It's the same thing with, uh, with Gabe. But you know what's interesting is everyone that has read the book or the script falls in love with the detective, the woman detective yes. who's mm-hmm. investigating him because she's kind of a combination of really kick-ass and clumbo, this kind of shambling uh, detective who extracts everything through the back door. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone wants a series of books about her. They don't give a oh. damn about yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. He served yeah. his purpose in... Uh, but, you know, it's an interesting thing, because on the other hand, there have been people who've asked, well, why don't you turn this into a series mm-hmm. where, you know, it's the two of them, the unlikely partnering of the priest yep. and the the detective. And, uh, yeah. you know, the two of them joined forces. So, you know, I'm hoping that I have uh, hard decisions to make uh, in the future <laughs> with other people seeing potential that right now I didn't write into the. uh, Yeah, absolutely. uh, And of course, everyone's going to want Gabe and female detective to fall in love. Mm -hmm. Carla, Um, they're going to want them to kiss or something. (laughs) They'll they'll want some taboo thing to happen. So yeah, well, I love that. So yeah, tell me a little bit, do you have any other stories or anything that um, you want to talk to my listeners about or any, anything you want to talk about? Well, I think the uh, the thing that I I would say to your to your listeners is again, you know, you go back to that, um, you know, I'm a Catholic, and and you have the the right to say why, yeah, you know, as as a friend or as a 
And, and I'm only saying that if the people are conflicted, you know, mm-hmm. if they are happy and whatever. But again, you grew up Catholic. I'm not prying into your life, but uh, but girls and virginity and guilt and whatever. And I know something about that only because as as, you know, being in the in the seminary, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, the first time that I, I did have, you know, sexual intercourse with someone, I felt like I had oh. descended into hell. Yes, you know? absolutely. And, uh, yes. and I sat there and I said, okay, and I'm not a woman. You know, mm-hmm. I, I it's got to be even worse for them. I could still, you know. Yeah. But it's like, um, I. that's why, as I said, it was in our will that not that any of our uh, uh, friends would have raised right. my two girls, you know, Catholic. We just wanted to have it in writing, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. It, I think, it warps people. Um, they have to, they have to dig themselves out of a hole in adulthood because the the church has has built a hole to keep them in uh, growing Absolutely. up. My father-in-law passed away recently, but he was very outspoken. He was a real, very religious man, but he was very outspoken against the Catholic church. And at the time I defended uh, a lot of what he, he uh, the Catholic church stuff and didn't really agree with him on a lot of things, but now I wish he was still here because we would have some really good conversations because yeah. I kind of see his side of it a little more. So um, I got pregnant when I was 18 and then had like the whole shotgun wedding thing. So, Mm -hmm. and it was in the Catholic church. So I had all sorts of stuff to confess and, and, and all of that. So the Catholic, how old are your kids now? You had mentioned my, yep. My oldest is he just turned 25. So yeah. Yeah. No, mine are 28 and 22. Two okay. Girls. Yeah. Are you, are you still religious or do you not even close? To, no, no. Okay. What, what would you, how would you consider yourself, your, your spiritual beliefs or, you know, I'm, I'm open to anything. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't dismiss any belief system, uh, but at best I'm agnostic. Okay. I'm a cross between agnostic and deist, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for me to believe that there isn't some kind of, of higher power. But like, yeah. uh, but I, I, I also find it very hard. You know, I mean, we were, you know, the Bible is, is somewhere between, you know, 3,200 and 2,000 years old. And it's very hard, and and our whole philosophy back then was to anthropomorphize, every, you know, God was just a bigger version of us, you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. With, with all of our emotions and our faults and, you know, all of our punishments built in. You know, it's very hard to see that that is the most accurate way, the most accurate guideline for life in yeah. 2022 yeah you know yeah. it's almost like you know the supreme court what they call the originalists you know are trying to interpret a doctrine where you know if they didn't update their thinking blacks are three-fifths and you don't have the right to vote right you know so why why are we saying oh abortion isn't in the constitution well neither are women Right. And blacks are three, you know, are 60 percent of a human being. You know, yeah, you got to you got to evolve with the time. And uh, I don't see a lot of the traditional churches doing that. I see a mm-hmm. lot of the newer churches, you know, that were built for this society. They have an easier time of it. Yeah. yeah. Who do you think wrote the Bible? Was it is it the word of God or do you think it's just a, a set of morals and values to make a crazy place seem more orderly? Let's let's stick with, you know, something that we know something about, because if you look at the at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, boy, you've got a, a wide range of years and a wide range of authors. I mean, you're going everything from you know, Exodus with Moses, which most people think of as 1200, you know, BCE before Christ or the common era, all the way up to maybe 150 before uh, the birth of Jesus. 
you know, so that's 1100 years of, of different authors with different audiences and different right. uh, goals. Yep. Even, even if you look at the, uh, at the New Testament and you look at just the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four very different people, never met each other, never met Jesus. Um, and they all had different audiences and different things. And then you add some real interesting things like the book of Revelation, mm-hmm. which I believe was written on LSD. You know, Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, it's so scary. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, and say, and, you know, here's something that maybe some of your listeners know. But, but the point was, you know, at the time where we codified, meaning that we said this is what the Bible is. Mm-hmm. The Hebrew Bible was already codified. Okay, it's going to be from Genesis down to Maccabees or whatever. You know, we we were we had it. The Catholic uh, or the 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 Christian Church, as it was called then, had all kinds of gospels floating around. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of James. These were all popular, you know, like Marvel comics um, of that time. So it wasn't the authors that you had to think were divinely inspired. It was the the editors. It was the people who 300 years after the birth of Jesus said, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. You know, what did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have that Thomas and James and Mary did not have? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very hard for me to believe that there's, a lot of inspiration at work mm-hmm. when you realize mm-hmm. the years and the authors. Yeah. Okay. I, I do want uh, your um, your listeners to know of SNAP. Uh, S W W. The website is okay. www. SNAP. S N A P. Okay. And, uh, uh, they get some of the proceeds from my book. And that is a a society of uh, that brings together and counsels victims of pedophilia. Oh, that's um, great! Yeah. The other night, I was having a dinner with a um, a neighbor, and he said, "Well, there's no easy way or delicate way to ask this." He says, "I just finished your book." He said, "Were you molested?" And I said, "You don't know. No. I if I met a pedophilic priest." In all of my time, I didn't know it. Okay. I, was, I was lucky in that regard. Yeah, I listened in to um, uh, these the testimonials of the SNAP survivors, and um, you know it's harrowing. And mm-hmm. uh, I think also this is a really bad ge- uh, uh, generalization, but. You know, you were saying you live in a town that's almost exclusively Catholic. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's not on the West Coast then. No, it's in the Midwest, Iowa. <laughs> you're you're either in, in some place like, you know, Iowa or you're in Pittsburgh or, yep. you know. Or Wisconsin is a big Catholic state. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> that area. That's where I think, you know, you're going to come up against these. I'm certainly not giving a pass to anyone on the West Coast. You know, as far as pedophilia, I'm just saying that when a whole town hangs the moon on Father Mulaney or whatever, then Father Mulaney feels a lot more powerful. And then when you come forward, uh, you know, and say, uh, you know, I was raped when I was 12, you know, by Father Mulaney and they go, A, we don't believe you. B, why didn't you come forward then? C, why do you want to be tearing down the church in such a difficult time? And all of a sudden. You're the one on trial, not Father yeah. Malay. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. And if it's a tight town, you might have to move. Oh, definitely. You'd be yeah. like if that I feel like if that happened in this town, people would ostracize the victim yeah. and victim blame or whatever. Mm-hmm. It would not not be good at all. Um, yeah. I do worry about that, though, with my kids going to Catholic school. I'm like. My feelers yeah. are going. No, I don't know. Don't blame you. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yeah. What else? Do you want to talk about anything else? Do you have any other stories or um, anything coming out? Any book tours? Any any appearances or anything like that? No the the book will be out uh, at the end of May um, through Amazon and in Barnes and Noble. I'm not uh, um, popular or well known enough 
to, you know, have book signings. I have, they try and they ask me to do them. And I just have this vision of me sitting like the ugly kid at the dance behind the, uh, the desk. Oh with all of the books stacked from here to there and there's no one in front of you, you know, that so. would not happen. Yeah. No, uh, but uh, no, I have a great group of, um, uh, you know, such as, you know, this opportunity with you, my PR agency is doing a wonderful job mm-hmm. of reaching out and the critics have been very kind with the early. So, you know, hopefully, and, um, as I said, you know, the, uh, I'm hoping it also finds legs, within the entertainment community, either as a miniseries or a, a movie. I know, think uh, it's got a lot of potential for that. It's got all the ingredients of a good, a good, um, good movie, good series, something like that. So I'm g- going to read it. I'm very excited yeah. to read it when it comes out. So, yeah. Well, keep me uh, informed about the, the, the podcast and the, uh, the, the Irish angle. Cause I'd love yes. to just, you know, see, See, yep. as things progress, Kelly. Yeah, just, I will. I, I I admire you for taking that on. Thank you, know. you, thank you. I and I I not. I mean, I'm just a podcaster. I'm not a journalist or anything. Sure. But it's I find I find that it's just very interesting and and just um, enlightening. You know, I didn't know that this stuff happened. I did not know. I mean, when you real, if you're really being honest, like the Catholic Church in Ireland was had was in the business of trafficking children um hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of kids were shipped off out of ireland to the u.s the catholic church profited off of this so it's it's a whole thing that i feel needs to be uncovered so i'm gonna do my best if you and obviously you could have a cottage industry of just exposing the dark underbelly of of the catholic church but um you know, once you're done with the Irish angle, uh, you were talking about theories and whatever, mm-hmm. e- and cons- you know the idea of conspiracy theories. You know, who shot JFK? Yeah, you know exactly. Is take a look at the the very short papacy of John Paul the First. Okay, uh, I'm writing okay. it down. Okay, so uh, if you remember. John Paul the 23rd was uh, the Vatican II, and he was very liberal, very embracing, very much like Pope Francis today. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, a man of the people. When he died, the church 180 and went back to Paul the Sixth, who was this mean little guy who would have been just fine with the Nazis in the 30s Ooh, and whatever. Yeah. He took the church backwards. And then when he died, John Paul the First was installed he was fairly young it looked like he was but where people find a lot of conspiracy theories is um he was according to the the theories he was investigating the vatican bank and all of its uh dealings etc okay and um supposedly you know and again i'm not at all embracing this i'm just saying and then he dies like 150 days into his, um, and there's all kinds of theories that he was killed or they had a heart attack. Uh, and by his bedside was the a, a report of exactly what the bank had done and was doing and whatever. But it's a little more esoteric than, you know, the pedophilia and the baby trafficking, et cetera. But fascinating. Um, it is. Uh, you know, wow. take. You may you may want to just you know the, I mean it still is amazing to me that here's a church which has, I mean you it could finance itself for the next fifty years with oh just yeah the Vatican treasure you know fifteen billion and, dollars something yeah. like that is what they yeah yeah you know and then they're still you know trying to get the peasants of South America to pay for the new gaudy church you know that they're building so. It's bizarre, but no, yeah. keep fighting the good fight, Kelly. I'm I really- will. I will. And yeah, I don't think that was a coincidence that John Paul the first suddenly died. So that's <laughs> something I will look into. Um, and where there's huge amounts of money, there's power, there's greed, there's corruption. It it's yeah. all there. And I think it's, it's no, the, the, the other part that was part of that was um, uh, one of the, the chief guys associated with the bank wound up um hanging from the uh the london bridge uh, uh a a either a uh, a suicide because of the investigation or 
along if you believe in the the conspiracy theories he was victim number two along with john paul the first so yeah yeah they're putting a message out there you mess you mess with the catholic church here's what happens to you there you go (laughs) you never know yeah i believe that so okay well it was great talking to you tom i've really enjoyed this um me too yeah this is great i will keep you posted on the stuff i do maybe i'll have you back on the show and we can talk more catholic crimes and conspiracies at some point so there you go that would be great and tell me again when does the the new the new book come out may 31st i believe may 31st so so right around the corner just say june 1st uh okay remember for your readers uh, okay listeners and it's available on amazon and barnes and noble and yeah okay great and the book is the empty confessional by tom hogan get it june 1st all right thanks tom wow my head is spinning Tom Hogan, you guys, what a great guy. So many interesting stories to tell. And honestly, I can't wait to read his new book. It's like Dexter meets Doubt or Dexter meets The Keepers. It's going to be great. And I hope he sells 10 million copies. Next week, I have more Catholic crimes and conspiracies coming up and we are going to get into it. It's so interesting. I can't wait to talk about some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about. This is the most excited I've been about any episode or series in a very long time. So I hope you guys find it entertaining and I hope you stick with me. And until next time, you know what to do. Lock your doors, people. Bye-bye. True Crime IRL is written, produced, and hosted by Kelly Barron's Brink. Please subscribe to True Crime IRL wherever you get your podcasts and consider leaving a five-star review. Go to truecrimeirl.com for more information. Support the show by becoming a Patreon donor. Go to patreon.com slash truecrimeirlpodcast. You can also support the show by leaving a tip in the TCIRL tip jar. Go to truecrimeirl.com and click on the donate button. Or buy merch in the TCIRL merch shop truecrimeirl.com slash merch. Watch True Crime IRL on YouTube at youtube.com slash TV. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at True Crime IRL, all one word. True Crime IRL theme music is produced by the captain at True Crime Garage. 